The world's longest-running comedy music concert series is back. Hello, MarsCon people! Those were enthusiastic woos. MarsCon 2023 is taking place March 10th through 12th at the Hilton Minneapolis St. Paul Mall of America Hotel in Bloomington, Minnesota. Coming up here, I was gathering up all my supplies, you know, Fuji's, Golden Deliciouses, Red Deliciouses, Granny Smith's, but I was able to make it to Minnesota after compiling my Minneapolis list. This year's event will have performances by Robbie Ellis, Klingon Pop Warrior, Nuclear Bubble Wrap, The Odd Ditties, Holy Bongwater, Regdar and the Fighters, The Great Luke Ski, Jamie's Kyle and Linzilla, Insane Ian, Steve Goody, Bill Nay, Yao Meme, and this year's music guest of honor, Bonnie Gordon. Working on six projects, cause I can't focus on one, everything all at once, but never gets done, it's a problem. Something wrong with my brain. The rules of society raise my anxiety. I wouldn't change a thing. Registration for a weekend badge is $70. To pre-register and for more info on MarsCon, visit MarsCon.org. I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as Disney catalog expands... We're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. This is our Oscar special, and we were going to, uh, and you're wondering why are we doing an Oscar special less than a month away from the Oscars? This really is the only free week we have to do it because the next two weeks are taken and you'll find out when we get to those special episodes. So we're really going to be only talking about one nominee, and that is uh, Turning Red, which is up for the best animated feature. And honestly, it's got a lot of competition. It's got Del Toro's Pinocchio it's got Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which amazingly has gotten a lot of positive reception. I still have not seen the film. And uh, Marcel, The Shell with Shoes On, which a lot of people, because there is a lot of live action scenes in it, people think that it shouldn't be up for Best Animated. But, yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of, there's been a little bit of controversy on which category it should be put in i think it's in the correct category personally and of course the netflix movie the sea beast which i still haven't seen yeah that one was the one that kind of confused me when it showed up on the list i was like yeah okay okay i have to be an old man for a moment we have reached the point where we now have early 2000s nostalgia Now, keep in mind, this is a point of two people who grew up in the 80s where there was a lot of 60s nostalgia. I mean, The Wonder Years was the best show on TV, and that was pure 60s nostalgia. Then you get the 90s, and what was the big show? That 70s show. Well, as we speak, the two writers of this film, okay... The screenwriter is currently 47, and the 
director screenwriter of the film is 33. So this is a very much younger millennial, younger Gen X film. All right. And it does seem that the film is mostly credited as the brainchild of the director here, Domishi, who is the the younger of the two. Okay. So she was born in 1989. This would have been her childhood. Fair enough. And I understand with this is 2023. So people who were kids in the early 2000s are adults. It is just me being an old man. I fully admit this. Yeah, no, I mean. It. It did kind of. Strike me, too. When I saw it. Uh, at first, when I was like, wait a minute, this. What time setting are we in here? You know, like, hold on. Because for the two of us, this would have been just after we graduated high school, you know. Yeah. But the characters in here are, you know, 13. They're said to be in eighth grade. Slightly, slightly younger than than us. Mm. But that would have been about the same age as the, the creator. It's cool, you know, it's it's fine. It's the, the creator remembering their childhood, roughly. Mm-hmm. This is, and we're, we're going to talk about it as we get more into the plot. We've had the trope of, like, you know, Pixar being like, what if Blank had feelings? And you look at this one, you're like, what if pandas had feelings? Because it does seem to break the mold. This is more in the Disney, new Disney mold. Yeah, where our bad guy is generational trauma. Yeah, I mean, this is very much a new Disney film. But it also is in something that is a theory I've been working on in my own brain. Which is the millennial film movement. Um, for lack of a better term. And it's been happening in so many movies, and the new Disney trend is definitely at the forefront of that. Mm. Where the biggest wish fulfillment in the millennial movie trend is you just want your parents to say they're sorry and get some therapy. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that in the last couple of, uh, of, uh, of Disney movie, like Encanto and stuff like that, where, you know, a, a, a mother of color apologizing to their child. That doesn't happen in reality. So why not have it happen in fantasy? And I mean, it doesn't even necessarily, you don't even have to tag that of, of color on there, I think for that to even be part of it, um, not to, not to just, not to discount that specific sort of generational trauma that we talked about in, Mm -hmm. in Kanto. And it comes up in this, 
Um, of course, with it being very specific to the Chinese immigrant experience in Canada and just in, in North America in general, I think, because um, I've heard a lot of commentary from Asian Americans as well uh, living in the U.S. that said that they really felt they could relate. But I th- I think it's just kind of a common millennial feeling, especially in kind of Western European cultures and in, you know, U.S., Canada, England, that, that kind of general cultural area. Because a lot of movies coming out of those markets seem to have a very similar tone. But yeah, you know, for I think that generation, they put they had a lot of pressure on them to be at a certain level, and not all of them ever got to that level. You know, it's you know we we, we you know we talked again in Kanto and this movie. It's like that. I'm sorry, I'm not good enough for you. I'm sorry, I didn't. Uh, reach whatever goals you wanted for me. I I just want to be me. But the beauty about turning red is that it's not it's generational trauma passed down several generations. Uh, we did get we and again it is similar in Encanto, but this is more blatant about it. You have May getting the generational pressure from her mother Ming, while Ming is still under the generational pressure from her own mother. Yeah, we see the grandmother woo, and we also see all of the aunties as well. Mm. And we see that there is, even though we don't see their own daughters or their mothers for the aunties, we do get the same sense that that is what's going on in their families as well. I mean, they're doing the ritual in Chinese because the grandma said so. Yeah, even though the shaman says that that they don't have to. There was a lot of criticism of this movie. Was it justified? Probably not. That's I mean, we 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 just talked we talked a few weeks ago about Strange World and the criticisms that it got which really came from bad faith people. Same here because, you know, there was I'm going to start with the most ridiculous bad faith argument that this movie got was that this movie takes place in 2002. There was a certain event that happened in 2001 that people were questioning, oh, why are they not talking about this thing? You guys know what I'm talking about because it was all over the place for a while and everyone was kind of making fun of it. Why? Because that's not what this movie is about. Do we really need a movie about a girl that can turn into a panda while they stop the movie and talk about 9-11? Also, this movie takes place in Toronto, Canada. While there were a lot of nations who lost a lot of people and 
I don't want to discount that because there were, you know, there were people of a lot of different nationalities that were either in the towers, on the ground, in the planes that day. Canada did a lot for the U.S. in letting planes divert and land in Canada and hosting planes that had nowhere else to go when the U.S. closed their airspace on the day. It was not the overwhelming constant thing for years that it was in the U.S. And that's why people were kind of making fun of it for it. And I feel, you know, I don't want to address this on on this podcast, but I kind of had to just to get it out of the way. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, is that I understand it. You know, if you're if you're too young to really remember that, you know, then that is not really going to stick in in your head but for those of us who were old enough and lived in the US yeah it was kind of a daily thing for a long time because it was inescapable due to news and media of other sorts but if you were younger or if you lived outside of the U.S., it was a tragic event that occupied the news cycle for a relatively short amount of time. And then it kind of moved on because that's how life is. So if you're a 13-year-old Canadian girl, that's not going to be the thing you're thinking about all the time. Mm-hmm. Unless you're getting on a plane, which they never do. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. D- duh. What a d- weird U.S.-centric <laughs> thing to think about. Also equally ridiculous. Another bad faith argument that was tr- thrown at this movie was... We it, it is inappropriate for Disney to acknowledge women having cycles. And I don't mean bicycles. Menstruation is a thing that happens to humans. <laughs> I mean, there's been other movies, comedies that have referenced a woman having a, a young woman, a girl having her first menstrual period. And parents very acting very comedic about overreacting and such and we have that in this movie it is supposed to be that way and the over overreactive parent and the embarrassing way she's holding up the box of pads and people going off and that is inappropriate for a disney movie like really this is a coming of age movie it's fine and it's played for a joke. It's not Carrie. It is not unheard of for a child to start a period as early as eight years old. 
I mean, it's young, but it's not so young that a doctor would go, oh, no, this is horrible, you know? So, I mean, average age is about 12, you know, any anywhere between about 8 to 15 years old is considered in the normal range for a child. So, like, May's kind of right there in the average age range for her mother to think, you know, okay, that this is the time when menstruation would start. For for people to say, like, children seeing a box of menstrual... Pro- it, it's not in, in even anything graphic. They're not talking about how to use a menstrual product or even graphically, not even that that's very graphic of a discussion, but, you know, what it might be used for or how to use it, but... The mother holds up a box of pads or mentions that she has, you know, some ibuprofen, I think, at one point, and a heating pad or something. Gives her Um, green tea for cramps. Yeah, green tea for cramps at one point, um, which is a thing that comes along with menstruation. It's just if you have a uterus and you menstruate you are going to experience cramps. It's just a thing that happens. It's, I mean, I was going to hand that over to you. You have that experience. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just that's it's a thing that happens, you know. Um, and this entire film, as as well as being a metaphor for generational trauma, is a metaphor for going through puberty specifically the type of puberty you go through if you have a uterus like that's kind of the it's called turning red for a reason <laughs> you know yeah i mean <laughs> it, the panda is re- yes red pandas exist i'm aware of this but they specifically but metaphorically chose speaking yeah and she's starting to notice boys she's starting to like boys it was written by two women, you know, it's it's two women talking about their experiences going through puberty and menstruation and, you know, possibly their relationships with their mothers. I don't know. But, you know, this is not even that subtle of a metaphor in the story, you know? (laughs) Oh, you have mood swings (laughs) related to your panda? Like (laughs) They even said, oh, she's letting her panda out and she's doing all, like they're using panda as a substitute for other things. The, The truly bad faith argument here is saying that this is not a subject to be had with younger children. And like I said, 8 to 15, 8 to 15 
is the typical age range for menstruation in a human. That's the the typical sweet spot for a Disney movie. Okay, you're telling me that they're young enough to start menstruation, but not young enough to see a box of pads in a Disney film? To learn what's going on with their body? Yeah, and and one of the immediate things in the film is the the first panda episode happens to may and you know it happens in a bathroom again this is not a subtle film may is freaked out it happens again at school she's embarrassed around her classmates again not a subtle film everyone who's ever menstruated is listening to this right now and going like Oh, yes, we've had that experience. May is, is completely freaked out by it. And then she has the the thing where, you know, her parents find out about the panda and they go, oh, we thought we had more time to prepare you for this. And she said, you know, and her mother said, yes, it happened to me, too. And she went, so why didn't you tell me about that? You know, this was a thing you knew it would happen. And you didn't talk to me. And they were like, well, but you're just a little girl. We thought you had more time. You're just a child. We, we were waiting until you were older. And I'm going to tell you. So many people have that same story. My mother had that same story. My my mother had a talk with me kind of early just in case because her own mother never wanted to talk about it. So when my my mother experienced menstruation for the first time, she was alone and she thought she was dying. And she called her mother because this was before they had sex education in schools or any kind of body education in schools. My mother thought she was dying. And she told me it was the most terrifying thing she ever had happened to, to her as a child. And she called her, her mother. She was able to get a hold of her mother at work on the phone and she was crying and screaming and my grandmother just said oh that that happens to everyone there's there's a box of stuff in the bathroom go go use it and i'll explain more when i get home i guess which if you knew my grandmother is exactly the sort of thing my grandmother would do and my mother just had to sit there alone for hours Wondering what was going on and why her mother was so nonchalant about, you know, all of this stuff happening to her that made her think that she was dying, you know. And so there are lots of people who have stories like that. And, you know, thankfully, my my mother decided, like, that's never going to happen <laughs> to any child of mine. But, you know, it's a it's a common story. 
of, you know, why didn't you tell me? So at least maybe if this shows up in a Disney movie, it'll force some parent somewhere to go like, oh, okay, I guess we've got to have that talk and <laughs> spare some kid that same issue. And all it did was make those parents angrier. I'm, I'm not, I wasn't ready to tell my kid know about this. It's like, when were you going to tell your kid about it? When, when they're sitting on a bathroom floor thinking they're dying. Mm. That's when, when the trauma has already happened. And if you're a parent, do not do that. Talk about generational trauma. All you have to do is have one talk with your kid. And, you know, it's really easy because you can use a movie like this. If you've got a younger kid and you're not ready for the full conversation, just look at your kid and go like, hey, you know, when you're roughly May's age, um, your your body will change, too. And this works for a child of, like, any sex or gender. Because it, it happens to all humans, you know? It's just like, hey, when you get about this age, your body's going to start doing things that are going to kind of freak you out. And you're going to have trouble with your emotions. And if that happens, you can talk to me. You know, if you start feeling a panda, you know, come up, then... You can talk to me about it. You don't have to hide. It's not a scary, weird thing. I wonder how many kids are going to grow up calling calling it their red panda. <laughs> I mean, it's better than some names I've heard for, for puberty. <laughs> from I mean, people it, it, who are just too freaked out to use medical it, terms. It's better than what Ming calls it in the movie. Was it the, True. the, red, the red flower in bloom? Yeah. Uh, and and j- just again if you're a parent, teach your child medical terms. It will keep them safe. If if they if they can if they know medical terms, they can tell doctors and teachers what is happening to them. I don't work with young kids, but I am a mandated reporter. You know, fortunately I work with older teens and adults in my job but i am a mandated reporter and i do work with some people who are still underage Mm -hmm. you know and if i did work with young children it would be a lot easier for me to distinguish uh, and I, I know from friends who are teachers who work with younger children, it is a lot easier for mandated reporters to understand when something is wrong with a young child if you have taught them medical terminology for their body. You know, if if they if they are using baby language or weird code words for their body. Sometimes teachers and doctors and stuff can't tell when things are wrong. Teach your children medical language. There's no shame in it. Okay? Teach them teach them about their body. It's okay. Um, and it will keep them safe if something happens to them. I promise you. So, 
you know, PSA for that from from someone who, you know, is is on the other end of that that uh that bit of the uh legal part of it. But yeah, I think I think movies like this are are good. I think it's good to just have that part of life in movies. Because it's it shows kids that there's no shame about it. And it's good if you have you know, you you grew up socialized with boys. I don't I don't know how much time you spent around girls, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of idea of those things. But I I grew up with a lot of guys who did not know anything about what went on with the uterus, with menstruation, with, you know, pregnancy, with, and that carried on into, like, young adulthood and stuff. And we're seeing that now with adults who don't know this. Lawmakers who do not know what goes on in a woman's body. People talking with their full chest like they know all of the information in the world just spouting out completely wrong facts of what they believe goes on in a woman's body. Yeah, so so maybe if we have, you know, children's movies who just casually drop in like, hey, this is what a box of pads looks like. It's not scary. You know, Mm -hmm. it's okay for a dad to be supportive of a menstruating child without shame then like maybe we'll grow up with with a generation of people who are more informed about that sort of thing mm-hmm. so better better for everybody all around is what i'm saying <laughs> i also think it's a bad faith argument yeah. And uh, one more of the bad faith before we really get into the story is the that in the end, the disobedient child is proven right. No, I want to I want to listen to loud music and gyrate. And well, why is that child shown to be right? Why is this movie teaching children to disobey their parents? And it's like, have you not watched a coming of age movie in your life? Like the kid who who just wants to be a kid is often proven right in these movies, especially if it's a family movie, especially if it's an animated kids movie. I mean, we talked about it for when we've talked about some of the formative ones from our childhood too, the hmm. kid power movies in the 90s. Yeah. You know, a Parents goofy movie. Understand. Yeah. Yeah. A goofy movie is kind of like that. Um, we grew up with Will Smith telling us parents just don't understand. Yeah. Um, a lot of those shows were about trying to to be like, you know, you just don't get it, Dad. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> that it was always. And then by the end of the episode or the film or whatever, 
there'd always be a moment where the the parent would be like, you know what? You're right. I I didn't listen to you enough. And the kid would go like, but you're right too, mom or dad. You but know, I I should did. focus a little bit more on my grades. You you, you care about me, but you've got to give me my own space sometime. Yeah, I know that you love me, mom and or dad, but you got to let me be me, live my own life, make my own path. And then they dance to some popular song of the time and <laughs> have a barbecue and, you know, the, the house would be restored to a new piece. And, you know, it's, it's just how it's always been. I just think that this movie is a bit more blatant about it because May talks at the beginning of the movie about honor your parents was always the rule of the house. Whereas the movies when we were growing up was like, and there's my parental unit. They're always such a strict, you know, piece of crap. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, but it's, it's put in such honorific language at the beginning of this film. By the end of the film, the friends are saying explicitly the panda part of you is good because it's teaching you to push back against that strict nature that your mom is doing. Becoming independent, yeah. Yeah, but the interesting thing is, is that even the father is encouraging that behavior. Yeah, he sees the old 90s camcorder. Oh, and he sees, you know, what I see is a happy kid with her friends. I want more of that. You also feel kind of bad for the father in this. Right. Yeah, I mean, that story, we don't get a lot of it in the movie. But it's it's really interesting, especially when you hear it from Jen. You know, he says, you know, your mother and your grandmother used to be really close. And they had a huge argument. And now they barely talk. Oh, what did they argue? What did he fight over? Me? Your mother, uh, your your grandmother didn't approve of me, and you know your mother stood up to her, and well, here you are. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to portray Jen as any sort of like put upon, whipped kind of guy. He's not that. He is very strong in his own way. He's just very quiet and much less assertive. If anything, he fears the grandmother more than uh, more than Ming does. Yeah, but you do see how the parents work together as a team and you never feel that she is controlling him. Uh, you always feel like they are in step on their decisions, but sometimes you do feel like he he does disagree slightly, that he wants to be 
a little more lenient. But it's not important enough to him to really fight for it, I guess. If that makes sense. Mm. And it's not until he sees how happy May is in her panda form that he really decides that like, okay, this isn't working and we do need to make some changes. Also, it's the, her friend group, you know, with, with the mom and the aunties and the grandmother, it's all, we're all you need. You, you don't need them. All you need is your family. When Jin is the one is saying, clearly the happiest you are is when you're with your friends. I think that Jen comes to that realization because he has never seen the friend group, I don't think, until that moment on the video. Ming is the only one that has seen them, I think. And she has decided that she doesn't like them, and I think Jen has just trusted her judgment. But when... Jin sees the friend group, I think he goes, oh, no, I've, I've made my own judgment now, and I, I think that maybe Ming has gotten this wrong. Because we never actually see him interacting with May's friends before that. Um, they're not really over at the, the house, or he doesn't really not go to the yet. school. Not until the end where they actually invite the friend group for dinner. Yeah. And then they seem to get along really well. Um, But I do kind of wish he had been more active in her life before that. Because you do feel like he might have been more vocal about making changes. I think it's a situation of we have a daughter maybe, and my wife would know more about raising a daughter, which, yeah. isn't, which isn't a great excuse, but based on the information given in the movie, that's my best assessment. Yeah, and I think a lot of fathers are like that. I think it's falling out of you know, favor, I guess, if that's the right word right now. But I think that generally has been the way it's been for a long time. Like, oh, well, you know, if we had a son, you know, I'd know more about raising him because I'm the dad. And But we had a daughter, so, you know, that's, that's kind of your expertise. You'd know more about that because you're the mom. Um, and... I think that that's kind of sad mm-hmm. when that happens. I I think kids need the adults that are around rather equally, no matter who it is, you know? Um, I think kids will thrive when they're given love. Whether it's a single parent household or a dual parent household or, you know, more if there's extended families or whatever. Um, Just as long as the adults who are around them 
are supportive and show them love. Um, and I don't really think there's a gender to that. It's kind of sad to see a parent step back because they're like, oh, well, you know, what what could they get from me? Because I'm, I'm the wrong gender for this child. It's kind of sad. And I'm sad that so many generations thought that way. I, I don't know if that's Jin's thought on it necessarily, but I know it, it has been the thought of a lot of people. Let's let's shift gears and talk about the music in this movie. Very 2000s boy band. And yeah, I mean, let's talk about it. Billy Eilish and Phineas wrote the songs for this movie. I love me some Billie Eilish and Phineas. Yep, the the brother-sister duo, songwriting duo. Who knew she had it in her to write a freaking early 2000s boy band song? I mean, she was born in 2001. (laughs) (laughs) Phineas is not only the co-writer, but he's one of the members of the boy band. Yeah, he voices, uh, I believe he voices Jesse of Four Town. But there's five of them. But there's five of them, yes. <laughs> I mean, we we, uh, we grew up with boys, two men, and there was like four of them. <laughs> well, yeah, but that wasn't intending to be the the number of the, the, the boys. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, early 2000s, you have your, you know, your sync, your Backstreet Boys. <laughs> So I will th- I will tell you that I am way more into the music of Four Town than I ever was any of the boy bands it is ripping off. <laughs> Not I mean I mean we grew up with New Kids on the Block. <laughs> well yeah, but I mean I was also I was we were also of the correct age. For the in sync backstreet boys ninety eight degrees you know era yeah the t t r l era <laughs> that this is you know playing off of mm-hmm. i was i was never that kid. Like, I, I get I get this on a fangirl level, because mm. I'm a fangirl. Mm. I will I will fangirl over stuff. But I was just never a boy band fangirl. Mm. You know. Um so I I get the the vibe of the the fangirl that they're they're going for, but the target of the fandom mm. You know, is is not that was that was not my jam, uh, because that was when everybody was was doing the b- boy band thing around me. That was the point when I was, because we've we've talked about this before. Because of my weird upbringing, my musical taste was always like a couple of decades behind everybody else. So when everybody was getting into the boy band craze, I was getting into the 
British invasion of like the 60s and 70s. <laughs> so I was into boy bands too around this time, if you count like the, the Beatles. <laughs> and well, yeah, and the Beatles. I was getting really into the Beatles around this time. So and the Beatles, you can definitely call them a boy band in their early years. So like, yeah. if the Beatles counts, then that was my boy band of choice around this time. <laughs> Um, but I was definitely always more of a Who fan than the than the Beatles. Um, but 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 you can also get from the girls having their crushes on their on certain celebrities and. Well, that's the point of a boy band, though. That's yeah. why boy bands exist, is because you can have a group of fangirls and they all have their favorite boy in the boy band. Mm-hmm. And you see that here with the friend group, mm-hmm. you know, it's like one of them is is like, oh, you know, because I think it's May that loves Robert. Yeah, because he's and her, French and and she and she's taking a French class. And yeah. she, she's also in Canada where they also speak French. Well, yeah, because the whole movie is set in Canada. And I love it because I noticed this time around in the rewatch that. Um, for breakfast one morning, the mom brings Tim Hortons. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's so cute. Um, it's, it's not, they don't, they don't, uh, make a big deal out of it, but, and there are, there are so many little Canadian things cause the, um, the. There's not enough uh, poutine in this movie. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's no poutine in this movie, which I, um. I'm kind of sad about um, the d- director uh, is from Canada as well. So um, that's, that's kind of where this comes from. She lived in Toronto for uh, a large chunk of her life. So this is just kind of autobiographical here, but, um, but yeah, the uh, there's all these little things like when they find the, the guy, the kids uh, spray painting on their temple wall. May screams at them, uh, you know, get out of here, you hosers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, when they're, when they come up with the uh, scheme to get money uh, uh, for the panda, she talks about squeezing every last loony out of the, <laughs> the kids and, you know, so it's it's just all these little references that it's like, okay, yeah, you know, this <laughs> the Toronto Tower. Yeah, you can see the CN Tower mm-hmm. uh, in the in the back uh, of a lot of the shots, and of course the Sky Dome, which is no longer called the Sky Dome <laughs> because but it was in 2002. <laughs> but it was still in 2002. It was still called the, the Sky Dome. <laughs> Um, and it's one of those like the Sears Tower, which I, where I'm sure that people still call it the Sky Dome even now, <laughs> where it's like everybody in Chicago still calls it the Sears Tower. Yeah. <laughs> Chicago in here, I can I can attest to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the point of a boy band though is that everybody gets to have their favorite boy, and they all have their own personalities. So you always have the bad boy and the really sweet one, and then you have the kind of nerdy one, and you have the kind of you know. So they did that really 
well as they're going through in the movie and they're being like you know oh here's this one he speaks french and here's that one he you know he just got his hair done or something or that one really loves his mother and then there's the other two they're probably talented you know because <laughs> <laughs> there's always the ones that have like the big fans and then there's always like the one guy that it's like and he's in the group too <laughs> And that's why all those, like, K-pop groups always have, like, 20 of them. Because <laughs> there's, like... And it, and it's for, like, the, the girl groups, too. It's it's always, like, you know, they always have, like... Cause so, it's so everybody can have their favorite, you know? <laughs> like, I love that uh, May always goes around with her Tamagotchi. Yep. I... Don't think I ever had a Tamagotchi, but I... I did. I, <laughs> I'll admit it, I, I, I did. No, no, no. I'm not saying it is like a cool thing. I'm saying it is like I was poor and I couldn't afford a Tamagotchi. Um, I always wanted a Tamagotchi, but I always like tried to get my friends to like let me feed theirs or play with it or whatever. But it was one of those things like, you know, Lego sets or Transformers or whatever that like I always wanted one and I never had the money to get one. <laughs> so I, I saw her Tamagotchi and I was like, oh, man, I always wanted one of those. <laughs> and I love yeah. that it becomes a plot point by the end of the movie because yeah. it's the thing they finally put the the panda spirit in. And the mom just ends up playing it. <laughs> well, I mean, what else are you going to do with a Tamagotchi that holds the spirit of your panda cursed or whatever? Yeah. You got to feed it all the time. Your anger <laughs> is hungry. I mean, you yeah. Feed your at- anger and keep it sated <laughs> so it won't make you go kaiju and destroy another stadium. <laughs> uh, but, um, but but no, but 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 back to the music. Nobody like you is the thing that should be nominated for the Oscar. I agree. Because and I want all five voice actors, singers to perform in full four town gear. It, again, it it's not, but it should have been, and that, and that would have been the great performance. I don't know if Disney actually submitted the that song for uh consideration for this year i do not know probably not but given what is nominated there's at least two of the songs on the list and I'm not going to name names but there's at least two of the songs on the list that I definitely think nobody like you is better than <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to put that out there it could just be a situation where Disney was like we can only get one and we're going to push you know we're going to push the Rihanna song I mean, I like that Rihanna song. I got nothing against Rihanna. I like Rihanna. But um, uh, that was, I, I will tell you that that I think that that song should be at the Oscars. Hmm. 
Um, but I also think that nobody like you should be at the Oscars. Because when, when I heard it, I was like, oh, man, I cannot wait for that to be nominated at the Oscars. Uh, and I'm I'm very annoyed that it's not. Yeah. Because somebody put that up on YouTube as one of those, like, a solid hour of this song on repeat or whatever. Mm. I I will I will I will listen to that song over and over and over again. It it is it is a bop. Is what that is. Jordan Fisher, who voices Robert, did not have to go that hard on this song, but he did. Because he loves you. <laughs> yes. He loves you, dear listener. Like like the high note he does when during the uh during the, the the ritual. Like he did not have to do that. <laughs> Both in character and as a and as a singer did not have to, but did. And that is an awesome moment. <laughs> yeah. Such such a good such good good moment. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I like that song. It's a good song. Yeah, I mean, like again, Billy and Phineas. Who knew? Like, because it just doesn't. It. We know Billy. It's Ellis, not their usual style for either. It's not. Of it's not. Like Billy Ellis has a has a has a sound, and this just does not sound like Billy Eilish. I guess maybe it was a challenge for them. You know, like, let's let's write something completely out of our wheelhouse, out of our comfort zone. See what happens. I mean, it's a little more it's a little closer to the stuff that Phineas does solo. Mm. But even that, it's not it's still not that. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Phineas his solo work is a little bit more pop in that sense. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still, that's such a cool throwback bit, but Billy did say that she was, even though she was born a little too late for it, it, she did say that she was kind of a fan of boy band sound for a while when she was growing up so the the moment that really shifts this entire movie is you know throughout that opening part of the movie we see the three of the three of the friend group are crushing on Devin the 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 clerk at the convenience store and May is like bleh he looks like a hobo he's not you know what do you got what do you see in that guy but then the hormones kick in when she's home and she's drawing art when she's supposed to be doing her homework. Yeah, it's just kind of like doodles in the side of her math homework, you know. And then she realizes that one of the doodles just kind of has a passing resemblance to that guy. And then she is like, well, you know, he's not that bad. The hormone floodgates burst open, and she's just like, yeah. 
doodling and doodling a page at the page. The the way that's animated is just like because you see the red light and the beads of sweat form on her forehead as she's aggressively drawing and the anime expression on her face. Yeah, and I love that this is such a departure for Pixar animation in the fact that they use a lot of anime style in the way that they do things like they they do the little wibbly eye thing that's straight up to i mean it's it's the only 2d animation in this movie but it works well yeah they they put the they put the little wibbly eye thing in with the the slight mist of tears over it that you really only get in in the kind of anime style um and that's and, another and that's another thing from coming from the the 90s as you know now in 2023 most anime is dubbed in texas but in the 90s and early 2000s most of the anime was dubbed in canada by canadian voice actors yeah like, um Dragon Ball. This has a very kind of uh, 90s Pokemon run through a CGI filter kind of thing. Yeah. Um, So you can definitely see that kind of influence. And a lot of like uh, that kind of. Oh, it's San- Sanrio, I think, is the company that does all the like My Little Kitty stuff and mm-hmm. and all that that kawaii kind of style that they use to to give it that cutie bit. They use a lot of their tricks to make, especially kind of the panda merchandise that May and her friends do later. Yeah. Uh, and some of their toys that they play with and and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I really want to talk about the Devon art scene that that gives us our first kind of panda pop, I guess. <laughs> um, because this is another one of like, oh my god, people talk to your kids. Because yeah, the secondhand embarrassment I every time I watch that scene, the secondhand embarrassment I get for I feel for May. It's like if she had if if Ming had just sat down and talked to her daughter, this movie would not happen. But because she over she overreacts, oh no, this this older boy is having an inappropriate relationship with my daughter rather than, oh, my daughter just happens to have a crush on the boy that worked at the store. Yeah, she immediately realizes, like, hey, this looks like the boy that works at the convenience store, which bravo for May for being such a good artist. <laughs> well, it's the hat. G- good that, job, May. She recognizes, I know that hat. <laughs> but also, May's a good artist. Let's just I could not draw that well <laughs> when when I was a kid. Come on. Mm. Um, I don't know if if it happened to you when you were a kid, but it happened to me when I was a kid. 
Anytime I would mention a friend, acquaintance, classmate of the opposite sex when I was a kid, any adult around me would be like, oh, is that your boyfriend? Do you have a crush? Do we have to be worried about them? Depending on the age. Mm. You know? Mm. And like, oh my God, do not do that to your children. First of all, it teaches them that they cannot have an opposite sex, opposite gender friend. Mm -hmm. Ever. Which is not the message you want to send to a child ever. And also, if there ever is something going on, they will be less likely to tell you. Or you will be less likely to find out. Mm. Even accidentally. Because then it just gets weird and awkward because then they just don't want to tell you about their friendships because you're going to make it weird. So, I mean, how many times we see adults talk about young children, even babies, is like, oh, this is a little heartbreaker. Look at all the girls looking at him. Yeah, infants. Don't, it's, it's, it's weird and creepy. Don't do that to, yeah. You want to talk about let kids be kids, like... To start with that. But also, if you if you think there's there's something going on, don't start with accusations. Start with questions because you're going to get more out of kids that way than with accusations. Accusations get kids to shut down because then they think they're in trouble. I mean, and that's that's mainly throughout the first two thirds of this movie is that. May is the perfect little angel and does nothing wrong ever, and it's everyone else she associates with that is a bad influence on her. Yeah, and in in this, I mean, we see later that May starts lying and doing things and all, but at this point in the movie, she's not done anything wrong yet. I mean, I would argue that she's not really done it, doing anything wrong at most of the points in the movie, but... Definitely at this point in the movie, she's not done anything wrong yet in the movie. All she did was doodle. Now, granted, yeah, she, she's, she's probably supposed to be doing her homework at the time. But the point is that all she's doing is a doodle of a boy that works at the convenience store. As someone with ADHD, that stuff helps you think when you're doing homework. If you try to sit down and force an ADHD person to be like, stop doodling, stop fidgeting, do, do your homework, that shuts our brains down. So if you have an ADHD kid, let them doodle or fidget or whatever. It will help them get their homework done faster. Anyway, um, so she doodles, you know, like a mermaid with the face of a guy she knows. So what? Maybe she has a crush on him. Maybe she just needed a face. Mm -hmm. And that was the one in her brain because she went and got candy from the store earlier. It, you don't know. You won't know until you ask. Mm -hmm. Ask your child. <laughs> even May doesn't even, you know, like, well, he's kind of all right. Like, she didn't even intend it to look like him. It just happened to look like him after she drew it. And she really didn't have a crush on him either. That was the thing. I mean, yeah, she had that kind of hormonal surge and she started going like, oh, well, maybe we, maybe he would look cute without a shirt on and stuff. But if she actually sh sat down and thought about it, 
does she have a crush on him? Probably not. Like, let me doodle this tonight for now. I mean, we even see her right in the scene right before this saying that she doesn't understand why her friends find the guy attractive. Yeah, I mean, hormones and physical attraction to people is a complicated thing. And also, she's 13. 13 year olds rarely know why they do or feel what they do or feel. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, maybe they're cute. Do I want to date them? Probably not. I don't know them. You know, <laughs> like, I still feel that way as an adult. You know, mm-hmm. I'll look at somebody and go, like, well, they're attractive, but. I probably wouldn't want to be in a relationship with them, you know? Mm-hmm. There's lots of people that are like that. You can be like, well, I find that aesthetically pleasing, but that's probably not marriage material, you know? <laughs> so if her mom had just sat down and asked her, it would have probably been an awkward and embarrassing conversation, but it probably would have been like, no, I've never even talked to him. He doesn't know who I am. I just needed a face to doodle and it would have been fine but instead it makes her the laughing stock of the school because her mother freaked out way to make it worse mom (laughs) yep which causes a further hormonal surge which gets us the panda i want to talk a little bit since you mentioned the laughing stock, let's talk side on let's let's take a little side road here and talk about may's bully Tyler because like she he's the one that 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 pet that pastes the uh her doodles all over the school he's the one that kind of calls her a freak he's the one that is ridiculing her but turns out that it's a, a mask for for several things in this movie number one despite him being a very athletic child he seems to have no friends, which he's willing to pay May to be a panda at his birthday party because it's really the only way to get people to come to his birthday party. And then later we find out he's a closet four town fan, which once the girls find out he's a secret four town fan, like he, he, he becomes part of their friend group. Yeah, I'm they're, glad they're so willing to forgive. Because it's Four Town. Four Town's for life. Yeah. And there are people who have said that this is a, an, an analogy that uh, Tyler is, uh, that being a closet Four Town fan, it's being in the closet for other things. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. Read into it as you will. I mean, it very much could be. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't always like the idea of, like, oh, you know. Boy banded for girls? Well, no, not that, but um, the idea of, like, bullies are really just hiding their sexuality and, you know. Like, I I think that that's a, a kind of rather harmful trope. Not saying that it doesn't happen. I'm just saying that usually 
uh, closeted people are the targets of bullies rather than the perpetrators. But it it could be. And if you want to read that in, into it, I'm not going to stop you, you know. Uh, if you see something of yourself in Tyler, okay. He he makes May's life slightly miserable, but he doesn't do anything horrifically awful. You know, he doesn't try to beat her up or, you know. He just makes fun of her for liking Four Town. But yeah. he's also he's also a fan of Four Town. Well, and he makes fun of her family. He makes, you know, and and I think the thing about posting her artwork was a bit far. But you see that once they kind of become popular and he's left out, you know, the no Tyler's allowed, <laughs> you realize that he, oh yeah, he doesn't really have friends. He's having to, like, get people to his birthday party by Dang trying them. to... I mean, it's it's kind of sad that he can't get people to his party just by being like, my parents are rich and have an awesome house. Because, I don't know, in in my town when I was a kid, that would have gotten people to your birthday party. Like, we got a really nice house and my parents are going to pay for awesome snacks and you can watch TV on my big screen and play my Nintendo. That would have gotten you, like, all of the kids over to your party. When I was a kid. <laughs> the thing is, though, is that May needs the the money for the concert. You know, they're $100 short, and Tyler's like, all right, you come over and do the panda thing for an hour, and I'll pay you. And she's like, all right, but we're not friends. This is a business transaction only. You can tell Tyler is a... Yeah, business transaction only. We're not friends. But the thing is, is that she kind of does start to like him and have fun, I think. Because they do seem to be having a good time at the party. Until he starts getting bossy with her. Like, where's the panda? I paid for a panda. Get down here, freak. That, I think, you can tell that he is a bit of a spoiled brat. Spoiled rich kid? Yeah, and that might be one of the things that leads to his bullying her, is that there might be a bit of a class thing, you know? Mm. And you can see it in the way his parents act as well when Ming comes over. Mm -hmm. Look at what your daughter did to our child, which she didn't really do anything. She landed on top of him and screamed at him. But he saw that there were adults but nearby, and he took the fall and acted hurt. Yeah. Um, it is a bit of a kind of, you know, we, we'd say now a Karen moment almost that the parents pull of like, you know, look at, look at what they did. You know, your daughter is an animal. She's a menace, you know, <laughs> like, and Immediately, Ming is like, oh, I'm very sorry. I don't know why she's doing this and blames the friend group. Mm -hmm. In the first time, I think May doing anything really wrong in the film is that 
she just stands there and lets the friend group take the fall. Much to like their shock. It's like, dude, what WTF? What are you doing? It, yeah, if they, the, if, if they could have got if Disney could have gotten away with a WTF to say that that phrase, they probably would have done it. I think they got they 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 pushed it as far as they could by having Minx uh, by having May say crap in this movie. They that was their swear quota for this movie. Yeah, with May saying crap. <laughs> but, but the they, point is, but the point is that May allows her friends to take the fall. Because she can't stand up to her mother. And also by this point, she knows or she has a little bit of the context, what happened between her mother and her grandmother. Because she's now seen the grandmother's scar and she understands what probably happened. Yeah, that scar. Oh, yeah, you do realize now that she has the context of the panda, which she never did before, she now realizes that her mother probably attacked her grandmother in panda form, and that's what gave her grandmother the scar. And they um, even tell her, the more you turn into the panda, the more aggressive you're going to get. And we see that, and we saw that aggression. You know, we we start seeing her getting more aggressive throughout the movie. The dodgeball, all you know, from the dodgeball moment all the way to her pouncing on Tyler. Oh, that moment with her and Ming happens right after she pounces on Tyler, you know. And she didn't want to turn into the panda that night anyway because she had just been told by her grandmother that the more she turned into the panda, the more chance the ritual had of failing. And she had never realized that because, once again, Ming doesn't talk to her daughter about anything. And it's I mean, your words, Ming. And if you're going to have a kid with a talent, of course the kid is going to use the talent to make money. I mean, how many, not just kids, but, you know, an adult will have the same thing. You know, the first idea is, okay, how can I use this new ability of mine to make money? Now, granted, they're making money so they can go see Fortown, but the point is she's using her panda form to make money. Yeah, I mean, if this movie had been set in modern time, it would have been like she would have immediately started a Twitch channel. TikTok with the panda. Or or a TikTok. And it would have been like, all right, you know, everybody Venmo me $5 and I'll turn into a panda. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that, that would have been the new thing. But, and on you know, cameo. <laughs> yeah, it would have been, it. but since it was 2002, you know, it's line up in the school halls and, you know, give me some money and take a pol- Polaroid. You know, oh, the Polaroids. The thing is, is that when her friends start volunteering to be the one not going to the concert, she feels guilt. When she feels that guilt about her 
her friends being like, you know, okay, we're, we're the price of a ticket short. So I'll be the one that stays home. May is like, no, no, no. Even if it puts the ritual at risk, you know, I can't have my friends be split up for this thing we've worked so hard for, you know, I'll risk it one last time. All I have to do is one more hour as a panda and then we're done. When, you know, when, when, when Ming is just berating the friend group for supposedly corrupting her precious angel baby, it's almost like May, uh, May is kind of sacrificing herself because it's her fault. She lost control in that moment and cost them that last hundred bucks to buy that last ticket. Yeah, she threw her best friends under the bus, but at least now those three can go to the concert. Because the plot needs to have that moment, the night of the ritual and the night of the concert are on the same night. Oh, no. Yeah, because uh, who is it? Abby, I think yeah. it is, messed up. Toledo and Toronto. <laughs> Which I absolutely adore. Where is Toledo? <laughs> when we get to the ritual, after Jin and May have that talk about her friends, she can't go through with it. You know, she 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 starts to go through and getting rid of the panda because, you know, hey, I, I need to be normal. I need this. But then realizing that this panda is just part of her. That all of this stuff that's happened, this this change in her, this change in attitude, this newfound freedom in herself is because of the panda, and she just cannot let that go. The panda is just as much a part of her as her friends are, and she can't get she she's not going to give up her friends. She's not going to give up the panda. And I do like that we get the the moment of seeing the panda being drawn into the necklace mm-hmm. and seeing the pain that it's in and May having that moment of... Combined like, with the flashbacks. Yeah, of, you know... The panda looking at her with like this pained look on its face and then her having the flashbacks of being the panda and having so much fun and being with her friends and as you're like, oh my god, you know, like don't do it, girl. I think that the thing that got me most about the the scene where she refuses the the ritual is that she leaves the the astral plane and she comes back to her body and she's like no i'm not giving up that that part of myself and i'm going to the concert and ming's reaction is I can't believe she would do that to me. I can't believe she would do that to her own mother. While she's getting berated by her own mother, by the grandma. 
what kind of child have you raised? But so she's getting the she's getting the the, the pressure from both ends here. The the point being that it's not what is my child going through? What is my child feeling? Why is my child having these thoughts and feelings? You know, what is my child experiencing? Ming's only thought is, how does this reflect on me? What are my emotions in this situation? What is, you know, what what is my standing here? It's it's all self-focused. And we see that a lot with parents now. I mean, we've always seen that with parents. It's not a new thing. You know, how could you do this to me? That they don't see their child as an individual, but merely an extension of themselves or worse, property. We seem because that is a thing that still happens that, you know, the whole under my house, under my rules. And we talked about that a bit with Encanto. Yeah. That that was Abuela's problem as well, is that all of the various children and grandchildren were extensions of the family. You know, you're part of the family madrigal. You're not an individual who gets your own choices and your own, you know, that's why we don't talk about Bruno. Yeah. Uh, The the animation on Ming with the tears running through her eyes, her, her, the, the face going from sad to anger as I don't know if her, whatever lighting they put in this scene made it making her face look all red as the, as the brooch, as that necklace is breaking apart. Like that is some beautiful animation. Yeah. And it being under the red lunar eclipse. And so everything in the scene kind of has that red tint to it. Uh, It's so good. So Mm -hmm. good. And then we find out that the the words that Jen had said about, you know, I I only saw your mother's panda once, but it was very impressive, quite big, you know. <laughs> uh, he wasn't kidding, cause uh, Mama Ming is a kaiju. <laughs> if if the panda is based on emotions, that means Ming has a lot of repressed emotions. I mean, she's been repressing all of them, it seems. Yeah. Though, are there no cameras in the Sky Dome that see this little girl jumping into the... It's a good thing that the roof of the of the arena was open. Well, they did. I do like that they set that up because I, I kind of had missed that the, the first time. And I caught it on the rewatch that the... The announcer on the radio was like, you know, and they're going to be opening the roof of the Sky Dome. And then, you know, it's kind of in the background when they talk about Fortown coming to, to town. Yeah. Um, so it is set up earlier in the movie that the the roof will be open that night. We get 
May just kind of bounces in there <laughs> has a panda. Like she does not have a ticket. She did not pay to get into this concert. And that's some pricey tickets because it's like a hundred dollars a ticket. Two hundred. Two hundred dollars. Who does she think she is, Celine Dion? Uh, oh, Sandra. Oh, that was a that was an awesome line delivery. <laughs> yeah, Sandro absolutely slays it as Ming. And you know, again, what other Canadian su- superstar are you going to have to question? I mean, what other Canadian superstar would you even put in that moment? But Celine Dion. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially for a, a mom, you mm-hmm. know, at that that point in time, <laughs> you know, we we get to see the those few moments of happiness as May and her friends, and now Tyler, who you know they see walking by and discover is a four townie, <laughs> um, and immediately pull into the group, uh, start like to they- see. Four town descend on wires with angel wings. So like I love, I love the stagecraft in this show because it's so goofy and cheesy, and I just love it. Yeah. Oh, this honestly, it does kind of look like an amazing concert to be at, other than all of the screaming teenage girls, which would kind of that would hurt my ears. But maybe if I had like a skybox or something. I would I would definitely not want you to be always wear at those, that concert. You can always wear those muffs they wear at the monster truck rally. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, the um I just I just wouldn't want to be like, you know, a front row in the, the, the you know, mosh pit of like yeah. horm- hormonal teenage girls. Like I mean they're literally climbing. Having on been top- one of those, I do not want to revisit those years. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> having them climb on top of each other just to get just to touch one of their hands. Yeah, that's such a good moment where she like focuses in on on Robert. She's like climbing this tower of like teenage girls to try to touch his hand. And then you hear like the stomping feet of her kaiju mom yeah (laughs) like every kid has heard their mom in that voice yeah you know like you've you've definitely heard angry parent voice you know breaking through a crowd when you're having fun at, at that point um and i just love like the crowd you know scattering because like okay you know scary kaiju panda this is not part of the show (laughs) yeah and at first they're like is this part of the show and then like you know the roof starts to be ripped apart they're like oh no 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 we're in danger (laughs) let's run but then i love like the five boys just on the in the harnesses (laughs) just being like somebody get us down (laughs) it's just hanging there for like most of the scene while like I just love it because the animation keeps showing them in the background just dangling there, like <laughs> screaming for help as like all the panicked fans run around. I just you know, that's such a great bailed. bit of comedy. Like like everyone backstage has likely bailed. Yeah, you kind of feel bad because there's like you're like you know that. That there's like some panic stagehands running around back there being like, oh, 
crap, we got to lower them. But also, do we run for our lives? But also, we are kind of committed to safety first. But also, do we run for our lives? Do we save but ourselves also, or save the band? <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, it's like we we did promise that these guys, that their lives would be safe in our hands. But... What about if my we stay, life? <laughs> we might get squished. <laughs> like, <laughs> shout out to stagehands, you're the best. Yeah. Um, but we do know that that stagehands eventually rescued them because they are eventually lowered in the background. Um, so there are brave stagehands, as there always are. Uh, stagehands will not leave you dangling. Trust me on that. Trust your stage hands. But the uh, it's it's such a good bit of comedy. That's probably my favorite part of the movie. It's just those five guys dangling back there while all of the nonsense with the the mom and Mamie is going on. Um, and and we do get that moment, you know, where May stands up to her mother. It's like I'm 13. Deal with it. I'm gonna have. I'm going to like boys. I'm going to have hormones. I'm going to do things that you don't approve of it's i'm called- going to gyrate yeah. <laughs> and in a different movie this would be the moment where we would have you know the mother-daughter moment and hugs but ming is so set in her ways and has so- gone so far into her own rage that it she she just doubles down and just starts tearing up the thing. No, no, no. This isn't you. This is the bad influence from Fortown. The bad influence from your friends. I will take all of this away. And you will be my sweet little angel baby again. And which so I, May has to punch her mom in the nose. <laughs> which. I, I, who knew going into this movie. This Disney movie. <laughs> that. You're going to get a fight scene between a mother and a daughter in Panda 4. <laughs> I mean, I, I gotta say, it's it's a good moment. It's if the if the pandas are their rage and their emotions, you know. I'm not saying that families should scream at each other, but at least they're finally using their words because yes it it is a a physical fight here but you know like we said the pandas are metaphors mm-hmm. and the more important thing is that may is finally asserting herself you know i am sorry i will never be enough for you and that's kind of the knockout blow you know, I'm sorry I'm not going to be perfect. I will never be enough for you. I will never be you. And those are the words that that knock her mother out. Because May is living the life that Ming never got to. Ming even says, I never went to a concert. I never disobeyed my parents. She never had that rebellious phase in her life. And that's the person she became, a repressed individual. Meanwhile, May is actually acting like a teenager. She's actually finding herself. 
doing the things that Ming never got to do because she chose her family over a social life. And Ming is choosing to, uh, and May is just, she's not about that. In fact, the one rebellion we know Ming ever had was choosing her own husband. Her mother said, no, I don't like the guy you've chosen. And Ming stood her ground. And that's the. The one moment of defiance. Yeah, that's the visible scar that kind of ended their relationship. relationship. Yeah. Again, metaphors. Yes. Though I must say the very anime magical girl style of the grandma and the aunties crushing their trinkets and letting the pandas out. It's a very anime Power Rangers, Super Sentai magical girl moment. And I do love it. Such a good moment, you know, because they're trying to get the mom inside the circle that the dad has drawn, which I love him with the chalk chalk marker, you know, running around the stadium. And the one auntie going extra. The one auntie going extra with the pirouette as he transforms. Oh, yeah. That's such a Sailor Moon moment, you know. We see them coming in when they show up and they've got all these, you know, the the pin and the, the hair stick and the, you know, the bangle. And the camera does focus on them earlier in the movie, but you don't get why they're important uh, until the the transformation when Ming is knocked out in her kaiju form and Mei is trying to get her inside the circle so they can complete the ritual and she's not strong enough. And here come the the grandmothers, the grandmother and the aunties, and the grandmother takes off her jade bangle and crushes it. And, you know, the one auntie pulls out her jade hairpin and crushes it. And one of them's got a lapel pin and she crushes it. And, you know, earrings. Like, <laughs> yeah, and the jade ring and the earrings and the, you know. And it's... She Such crushes a, a jade ring with her hand. She punches her own hand to break that jade ring. I mean, that's that a- woman is badass, and I love it. I know that's an anime reference to something. Yeah, I don't know enough anime to know what, but yeah. If you know, let us know, because I, I would I would love, but... When when they walk in and they go, you know, make way for your elders. She's family, you know. That <laughs> just that that moment is great. Like I'm not losing my daughter today. Them getting in into the astral realm, into that bamboo forest, and May finding her mother and as her mother's child. spirit as a child. Oh. I think that was the moment in the movie where I was like, okay, this just broke me. And you see the similarities between the two. She also has glasses. She also has a similar attire. She's also having the same problem is, I will never be enough for my mother. And she says, I hurt her. I hurt my mother. So was this when she met her, her husband? When they were kids? 
Well, she likes to be kind of a maybe an older teenager, so you know it's it's very possible they were high school sweethearts. Possible. And, and she said, "I thought I would have more time, you know, before May got the the panda." Mm-hmm. So it's possible that her panda didn't show up until she was a little older. Mm-hmm. And. It might have been, you know, when she had her first boyfriend or whatever. You know, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it might, yeah. It's possible. So, dude, dude can cook. If you can find yourself like a dude that can cook that well, you do not let go of that man. <laughs> I like Bao. <laughs> can can I, I just say that uh, I wouldn't mind having a husband that could cook Bao like that. All those, all the girls, you know, at the end of the movie, when when uh, that friend group, uh, you know, because Tyler's part of that too, so I shouldn't mm-hmm. say the the girls, but like when that friend group at the end of the movie, when they were like, oh yeah, come back for dinner, and the friend group is like, oh yeah, for Mr. Lee's cooking, oh we will be back. So apparently his cooking is is excellent, and all of, uh, like almost all we ever see him cook is bow. <laughs> and I love a dumpling, so. <laughs> uh, but it's so yeah, it's very possible that you know she was 15 or 16 there, and and that's when that fight happened. But her comforting her her mom like that, and then that moment where they're just quietly walking through the bamboo, and then they walk past and then her mother is an adult again that is the kind of shot that you would see in a in a movie like this. if this was a live action movie well it's also it's also like very miyazaki mm. like that seems like something you would see in one of his films and i was like oh so pretty you know, just that that forest shot and the two characters moving through in that transition. Um, and then they get there and Ming thinks that her mother is going to yell at her. And all her mother does is just hug her. And then, you know, they have that that transition, you know, where where the grandmother and all the aunties go through the the portal and, you know, their their pandas kind of you know, wander off into the forest. You know, Ming and and May are left there and there's that that quiet moment between them and Ming steps through the portal and then of course the giant panda spirit. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The poor woman. Um and then Ming turns back and just begs her daughter to come with her you know get get rid of the panda and they both admit that they're scared they might lose the other one with may choosing to to keep the panda that even this af- might be the thing that drives them apart even afterwards she asks her ancestor did i make the right choice I, and I do, love the moment with the ancestor. And I love that they didn't give her a voice. Like she remained silent as it is, you know, up to the interpretation of the viewer. Yes. But it's almost as if, you know, like this is a, you know, that's a question you need to answer yourself or find out for yourself. 
But I also, I, I mean, I didn't think that was ambiguous at all because she just smiles so big and then mm-hmm. they like go flying up to the moon and mm-hmm. you touch noses and, you know. Yeah. And then it ends on such a happy note. So I I never thought that was an ambiguous mm-hmm. ending about what the ancestor thought because the mom says at the beginning she didn't mean it as a curse the thing is is she said then we moved to a new land and it became inconvenient and the thing i think is inconvenient about it is a a cultural difference perhaps Mm. probably going from a small village to a large city Maybe, but also, I think it's maybe a cultural sense in the modern world sense of just, my goodness, are we constantly stressed out. Yeah, yeah. And we do not, as just a people in general like humanity right now and i'm not talking about eastern culture western culture national culture i'm talking about just humanity i don't think modern humanity deals with our emotions very well a lot of people need therapy very few ever go (laughs) um but also a very few can afford therapy they've made that expensive (laughs) Well, yeah, and I'm not even sure it's therapy. I just don't think we give each other the grace to just experience emotion. Because, yeah, we're we're, we're in a society where showing emotion is a sign of weakness. And you're never given a chance to actually go through your emotion. It's move on to the next thing. Well, you're, you're going through a hard time. You don't have time to deal with that because you have to pay bills or you have to go to work. So you need to bottle all of that up and just pretend everything's okay because capitalism, I guess. Or even, you know, when we think about children, it's like, well, my child is having a tantrum. It's like, well, no, your child is having emotions. They just don't know how to deal with them. Like, that's what a tantrum is. And it's like, well, you know, I'm having burnout as an adult. Well, yeah, but you're having emotions. You're just not allowed to have the time and space to deal with them. You know, we do not allow each other the space to be people anymore, I think. Mm. And... I think one of the most important things in the film was May is having a problem, you know, the panda. Her friends see that she's having a problem. She's in distress. They look at her and they go, okay, we accept you anyway. Panda or no panda. Mm -hmm. That's their language, right? Mm Mm-hmm. We're, we're cool with you, panda or no panda. And it immediately calms her down. Nobody's going to judge me for whatever I'm feeling right now. 
for however I'm being right now. Mm. And that's the magic thing. And that's the thing that's able to keep it in check and make her be able to control it. It's just that the people around her are not going to judge her panda or no panda. And maybe if all of these generations of women had just had people around them who were like, hey, you know what? Panda or no panda, we're cool. Then it wouldn't have been a curse or an inconvenience. It would have just been a thing their family can do. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's also one of the lessons of the movie. Yeah. Is that you got friends around you or family members around you and maybe they've got a panda that they're dealing with. And if you just look at them and go, hey, it's cool. Panda or no panda. I'm still here. Then maybe that's all they need. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there is the cringe moment at the end that did. I I did. I I didn't want to bring it up till we're, we're wrapping this up, but. The uh, the furry look uh, that Ming has at the end of the movie with the with the ears and the tail that did get some hate, but also the very cringy my panda my choice. You know, I also kind of wish they would have used a different line for May there at the end when you know because I I also thought my panda my choice. But I think I would have hated it less had it come at a different time. The movie was not expecting to come out right about the same time as the row reversal. Yeah. And I think that's what got people angry Mm -hmm. about it. I think if it had come out at a different time, it wouldn't have felt like nails on a chalkboard yeah just yeah timing was just bad i i I think that that it when it was written it was like a a acute like maybe stop telling women what to do with their bodies kind of thing to the writers but by the time it hit you know i mean these animated movies takes at least what, five years to make? Yeah, something like that. You know, yeah. so that that would have been written, you know, like that that line was probably written like six years in advance mm-hmm. and recorded like five years in advance or something, yeah. you know. So it it was probably just unfortunate timing. Yeah. I wish they had gone with something else. Yeah. I yeah. like the underlying sentiment, however. And I like the look. I thought May looked adorable. Mm-hmm. I, I have not been to a convention in the last year, but I wouldn't doubt seeing young girls with the panda ears and the panda tail dressed like May. It'd be cute. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to top it off, let's talk about Priya and the goth girl. I want to top this off with Priya and the goth girl. They have, they vibed so much at Tyler's party that yes, I ship these two now. (laughs) 
Uh, that my favorite ship in the movie. I I also ship them. I, I the movie says nothing about it, but I think there are a couple. But I, I mean, you see a couple. You see, you know, the other three girls kind of grinning and pointing at it. Oh, they're getting together. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it. I think the movie hints at it, but this is definitely not. I wouldn't call this a Disney gay moment necessarily, hmm. but I, I, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you're vibing with it, I, I feel, I feel you, I feel you. Cause I'm, I'm also vibing with it. <laughs> and if, of course there's the, the scene earlier with, uh, May kind of having the little, uh, moment where the little emo boy passes by. And we did see the emo boy and the goth girl earlier, and the so it looks like they're in the same clique. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, yeah, but but that was that was the style at the time, <laughs> you know. That was the onion on your belt. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Do I want to know who the emo boy was in your life? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm still rocking the the, the emo coitus guy vibe at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Please allow me to show you my mood board of dark and brooding emo boys. <laughs> I don't think the girl even has a name. Everyone just calls her Goth Girl. So yeah, I, I mean, I I don't think she ever gets a name. No, but she doesn't have a line. She doesn't have. She's just hanging in the background. I mean, yeah. So yes, those two. Kiki, let's ask the question. Does turning red have the magic? Oh, I think it's so fuzzy and cute and magical. I agree. I'm surprised we haven't seen May in the parks. Like, but the question is, which version of May do you put in the parks? Do you put the panda or do you put May as a person? You put the May from the end of the movie where it's mostly human May with the ears and tail. I can go with that. So uh, get on that, Disney. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this this movie it got a, a bad rep because it, it got the, the COVID, you know, thing. And, and um, bad bad faith arguments all around with, with this movie. Well, yeah, I mean th- that too, but honestly, if it had done better numbers and come out in a a more conducive year, mm-hmm. um, it, those bad faith arguments would have been, you know, just laughed off like they should be. Um, there's always going to be some weirdo screaming nonsense of, about Disney. Mm. But I think that this movie deserves much better. I'm going to say right now, I don't think it's going to win the Oscar. I, I think in a different year, it it might have. You know, I, 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 can't, bet against, I can't bet against Del Toro. I can't. Yeah, I think I think Del Toro's got it this year. That movie is very good. I, I mean, I really enjoyed Del Toro's Pinocchio. 
Um, so I'm I'm not saying that that would be an undeserved win by any means. I I think that movie was exceptional. Um, I think in a different year this movie would deservedly win. But uh, I think it just you know uh, unfortunately <laughs> up against something like uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio, I I don't think it stands a chance. Um, however. The nomination is well deserved, and for your first feature film to be up for an Oscar, I mean, go Domi Shi. That's yeah. that's incredible. Um, her her short film Bow that she did before this, which is up on Disney Plus. If you've never seen it, go look it up. Um, is incredible, and that won an Oscar. Yeah, she's she's got an incredible career ahead of her. I mean, come on, that's that's a great start. Oh yeah. To to do something like bow and then to follow it up with turning red is just amazing. Um, I can't wait to see what she does next. <laughs> uh-huh. So please please put something else out soon <laughs> yeah whatever it is yeah i'll i'll be watching to see what she does next because so far so good all of the other stuff she's she's worked on has been great too she's done a lot of work for for disney um and it's all been stuff i've liked you know she's she's done other stuff for pixar she worked on onward and and soul and uh incredibles too and stuff like that um but this one, if you somehow listened to all of this and you still haven't seen it, please go watch it. Please tell other people to go watch it because it's out there waiting and it's so, so good. I really like this movie. I mean, this year alone between Turning Red and and Strange World, these two are really good movies that get a bad rap. And... Or just get no conversation. Yeah, exactly. Which is even worse than a bad rap, because at least a bad rap will make you go, maybe I should watch that and at least, you know, make fun of it or something. But just no conversation is the kiss of death for something. So go watch it. Yeah, go watch Turning Red. It's a good one. It's got banger music. Oh, yeah. I mean, they event they actually released the music on the songs in a boy band CD on a CD, a CD. Yeah, that's a good in, one. In it, yeah. But uh, for town forever. Four towns for life. You're four townies, I guess. <laughs> I'm definitely a four townie, even <laughs> though there's five of them. Yes. Ah. <laughs> uh. Let's uh, let's move on to next week. Kiki, it's time to get back into the TARDIS as we are continuing our 60-year retrospective on Doctor Who. Next week, we're going to be looking at the third Doctor, John Pertwee, and Doctor Who is finally in color. So we're finally entering the color era of classic Doctor Who. So prepare to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, 
for next week. <laughs> uh, so yeah, come back this week for Doctor Who, the third Doctor, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues.